0: masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime but perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. This week's guest is Jonathan Goodman, a world leader in helping fit pros to do better, have more and go online. And he's also the founder of the PTDC, which is the Personal Trainer Development Center. A few years into his personal training career, Jonathan Goodman injured himself and faced the reality that he would have to be off work for two whole weeks, unable to get himself to the gym to train his clients, and also unable to collect his paycheck. It was at this point in his career when he started to imagine how he could package up his extensive knowledge and turn it into an info-based product. And it should be noted that this was almost a decade ago when online courses and certain vacations were certainly not the norm like they are today. What came next was a business beyond his wildest imagination. In today's episode, Jonathan shares candidly what it took to build the Personal Trainer Development Center, which has now certified over 35,000 trainers around the globe. Sure, from the outside, it may look like Jonathan has always had a carefully calculated plan to revolutionize the training industry, but there was a messy middle when he was simply putting one foot in front of the other, trying to find out how he could solve his community's pain points. Jonathan is intelligent beyond belief, calculated in his approach, and visionary in the way he sees the future of his company. This was a wonderful conversation, so I can't wait for you to tune in and hear about why 137 phone calls were the secret to figuring out his business plan, how he launched his first info product using a beta test group, why data has driven so much of his company's growth, where he thinks the personal training industry is headed, how artificial intelligence or AI will play a massive role in all of our industries in the next five years, and we talk about so much more. So I'll be back on the other side of the episode to share some of my learnings from this conversation with Jonathan. All right, Jonathan, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. You are the founder of the Personal Trainer Development Center, and you are the author of multiple best selling books for personal trainers. In addition, you founded the first ever online certification for fitness trainers, which is called the Online Trainer Academy. And since then, it's been tested by over 35,000 people, which is truly incredible. So, first off, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, what's up? It'd be good to get to know you a little bit better, too.
0: Awesome. So first things first, I have some inclination that you have the travel bug. So my first question to you is, have you been able to travel and maintain this adventurous lifestyle since COVID hit? Because we are still in the midst of this never-ending pandemic. So where in the world are you?
1: That's right. I, I'm, I'm in a little town in Mexico right now called Sayulita, which is on the west coast, about 45 minutes south of Puerto Vallarta. And I mean, have I been able to travel this year? No, my travel got canceled like everybody else. I had lots of trips and stuff planned, but it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, I had a lot of speaking planned. I, I had a lot of travel. We were going to put on our own conference. We had a lot of stuff planned mm-hmm. and it all got canned and I'm not going to plan it next year. Or the next year because you know what i kind of like not doing it (laughs) and so for somebody like me who um i wouldn't say that i don't like people but i certainly like people in small doses you know i'm i'm very much an introvert and for anybody who's an introvert like i'm cool being around people but introverts are best described as people who wake up every morning with five coins and every interaction that we have we give a coin away and then when all the coins are gone, we got to be by ourselves a little bit and replenish. And so um, that's me. And I've really enjoyed having a lot more family time. I've really enjoyed having a lot more just thinking time, slow time, uh, and and feel like I've I've thrived in that. But it was kind of tough to get over like a hump of, you know, being still. And feeling like I need to check my phone every second and just forcing myself. It's like, no, I'm going to go to a notebook. No, I'm going to always have a book. Like I've got books in every corner of my house because those like for anybody, I've got a three-year-old. So like for anybody who's got a kid, like those in-between times are really easy to just check in on Facebook or whatever. Right. And so I just like have a different book in like every corner of where I am. So they can always just like grab a book and read for like two minutes.
0: I love that. It reminds me of, um, there's a James Clear book and he talks about having a visual cue for the habits you want to incorporate. So it makes perfect sense. Like if you're trying to unlearn, just grabbing your phone and scrolling Facebook every time you have a free minute, you actually have to set the books up in front of you and give yourself that visual stimulation of like, Oh, the book is there too, as well as my phone. So now I can make a conscious choice. So I think that's actually a really good high performance tip for anyone trying to get off Instagram and stop the mindless scroll. (laughs) So let's take your journey back a little bit as far as we need to go. Cause I'd love to hear the origin story of how the idea to build out the personal trainer development (laughs) center actually came to be. So like, When does that light bulb moment go off or what is that piece of the journey? What does it look like?
1: There's no light bulb moment. Anybody who's ever built something, like anybody who tells you that there's a light bulb moment and it was like a master plan is either lying or disillusioned. Like we're so good as humans at post-rationalizing what actually happened and deceiving ourselves and smoothing out the messy middle that (laughs) trying to like, Oh, was there this like? No. I mean, I was a personal trainer. I was a personal trainer for eight years. I always thought, like any good Jewish boy, I was going to become a doctor after university. Decided to become a personal trainer before I went back to medical school or postgrad and just kind of enjoyed it, but then hit a point that a lot of personal trainers hit where uh, I was 23 years old. I was, I was maxed out. you know. I was charging as much as you could charge in Toronto, where I'm from. I was uh, managing a small group of trainers. It was about 10 of us at the club that I was at. And I was in charge of like their onboarding and in-service education, stuff like that. And then I was earning a commission for my overload of other clients to other trainers. So I was like, there wasn't much that I could do. And um, and the catalytic point for me was I was playing ice hockey at night, again, token Canadian story, and got tripped, strained my hamstring and was two weeks off of my feet. Like for anybody else, it's like, you know, you hurt your hamstring, whatever. It sucks. For a personal trainer, that means two weeks of no income. And that was the point to me where I said, okay, well, if this is what my life is going to be like, that's not okay. I am going to get sick. I am going to want to take time off. I'm going to want to have a family. I'm going to want to travel. Like clearly there needs to be something else. I don't know what that is. Right. I don't think that I want to open up a gym and I don't know what that is. So I, I, went on a journey of just, this was before like you could just Google or get retargeted with ads about different income stream potentials. I mean, this is like 2008. And so I went to the bookstore, remember those? And I, I searched for any books on marketing, multiple streams of income, whatever it is, passive streams of income. And I wrote down their names and then I walked across the street to the library and I checked out those books. And I just started reading. I was just searching for like something, some solution. And I I eventually, I mean, I built like, I built two business plans for smoothie operations. Like this is the messy middle, right? I studied residential real estate investing for six months. Like I said, I was just searching. I didn't know what it was. I was just collecting information, open-ended information, which I think there needs to be more of with no real direction, knowing that I kind of had a problem, but didn't already assume that I knew what the solution was to that problem. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? and came across this term called infopreneuring, which today is like obvious. It's like, yeah, you sell your information, but back again in 2008 was not obvious. It was this like underground thing. And so at the core of it all was write a book, write a book about something you know about. And then all of these income streams right appear. you can develop courses, you can speak, you can you have a mailing list, you can do affiliate promotions, you can do all this stuff, right? And so I wrote a book because I was so ignorant not to about personal training when I was 24 years old. I knew so little about why I shouldn't have written that book because I couldn't go on the internet and search for all of the things that I should do. That like, I knew nothing about it. Like, how did I find my editor for the book? I literally went to the bookstore. I found every fitness book I could find. And I called, emailed the authors and I asked for their editors. Like, that's how little I knew about what I shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just did it, which is again, I think another lesson, perhaps we should uh, know less about what we're trying to accomplish before we start. Mm-hmm. And so wrote a book, had a book, figured I needed to get people to read the book because I had no network. And so started publishing basically excerpts of the book on this new website that I had just built. I started a blog before I knew what the word blog meant. And, uh, and then I was like, well, I don't have that many good ideas. But there's probably a lot of other people out there that have good ideas. Why don't I just bring their good ideas onto my website? And so then I started syndicating other people writing about personal training. Basically, articles that were already on the net. I just asked the author permission and paid them 50 bucks to republish it on my website. And they were the sole author and stuff like that. And uh, And that was the Personal Trainer Development Center. Like, I didn't have any products. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I was still training clients full time. I was doing this from... 9.30 p.m. until 2 in the morning. And then I was waking up at 6 again for clients.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's how it all started.
0: Well, I think it's so refreshing to hear that you didn't really know what you were doing. You kind of just started it as almost like a you know side hustle, as people would call it in 2020. Um, but it's not like you sat in a cave for five years and wrote this elaborate business plan and knew exactly <laughs> what your online trainer academy right. would look like. But... I bet that there are people who look at the business that you have now and think, oh, this must have been his life's purpose or his calling. And they assume that maybe there was no (laughs) messy middle and that you got that light bulb moment. So I think um, what I really want to double tap on there and what I love that you shared is that you had to do a lot of searching and reading different books and seeing what piqued your interest. This didn't all just become a download one day when you decided, oh, like I'm injured. I can't personal train. What am I going to do next? Oh, I have this brilliant you know, million dollar idea. It never works that way. But yet I think there are a lot of people listening who are sitting at home watching Netflix, waiting for that epiphany and thinking that they can go from zero to massive business without encountering a lot of these hiccups and a lot of these uncertainties. So I love that you shared that part of your journey that, you know, there was a time when you were just trying to find what is this thing that I can move on to next with no certainty of whether it would succeed or not.
1: Yeah. I mean, Look, odds are that anybody who's in a position that you feel like you aspire to get to has worked way harder for way longer and gone through way more crap than you could ever imagine and that you'll ever see. Way more. Like, it's not even close. You see such a tiny snippet of what actually goes on if you're looking. And that's why it's so easy to get jealous, right? Because you're comparing yourself you're comparing all of your experiences, including your bloopers to everybody else's highlights. Mm-hmm. And you're comparing your chapter one to other people's chapter 12, not realizing that they too, at one point had a chapter one. Mm-hmm. They just happened to start, you know, before you did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, we, there are all these, stories we tell ourselves right and it's really important to kind of get away from that um i love one of my favorite terms is this term called sonder s-o-n-d-e-r i think it's one of the most beautiful things to always keep in mind which describes the phenomenon that every single person you meet, or encounter every single day has a life just as unique that is their own as yours Mm-hmm. And their experiences are just as unique as yours. And it's it's one of those things that I think is so beautiful because it's it's intuitively we all know this to be true. But it's so hard to keep that in mind. Yeah. And get away from that like lizard brain, amygdala, like like worry-filled brain mm-hmm. of our head when our emotions take over.
0: Yeah, I know. We're so quick to judge, right? But we have no idea. And you know, reflecting on the conversation between two business owners, you never know what somebody else has gone through to get to where they are today. So love that you shared that. Now, you obviously, you launched this blog and you said you were kind of getting different contributors, uh, but at this point you still hadn't launched your online certification. So at what point did the business transition from just kind of a passion project, uh, a blog that people were contributing to sharing resources, When did that become something that you're like, I think that there's something else here. I think I'm going to launch some sort of product and potentially monetize this website that I've created this.
1: So let me talk about why I think most people who do business do it backwards. (laughs) It's a nice thing to say. Um, You know, a lot of people kind of pay lip service to be in a customer-centric business. It's like a term that you hear is one of these sexy terms like abundance, but the reality of it is very few businesses are actually customer-centric because customer-centric basically means that, to me, a customer-centric business means that you listen to your customers and you build what they need. Most businesses build something and then try to tell their people to buy it, right? To me, that's backwards. And I happened upon this by accident. I didn't always know this. I did business backwards. I built, I built a blog and a platform in a community with no idea what I was gonna sell, no idea that I could even sell anything. I kind of knew that people were selling ebooks. That was like the extent of what I knew that they could sell. And but I figured that you know, my population, my audience, personal trainers, probably needed something. You know like the, the industry still to this day isn't really doing that well it's a really really tough job and so in 2012 i did a large-scale survey we ended up with a, just over a million data points and i did 117 no sorry this I was a different survey i did 137 13-minute phone calls with our audience literally just got on the phone with anybody from audience And we now do a lot of very in-depth, we follow the jobs to be done framework and we take customer research, customer experience mapping unbelievably seriously. Um, It was much less organized back then. But what I was able to do was I was able to drill down the problem into one sentence, which is all trainers a year or so in in their career need to make a bit more and a bit less time with a bit better schedule. That's the problem, right? Okay, so what's the solution? You can't start to build a solution or even think about a solution until you've defined the problem and proven the problem. You know, you may have some assumptions of what the problem is right now, but I can tell you you're probably wrong in at least one part of it. And that's not like anything against you, dear listener. That's like, that's just the case. That's just, we, in isolation, before we put out a product or a prototype of a product, we never actually know how it's going to be used and, and what problem it solves, right? solves. So, so anyway, so I did all this research and basically said, okay, well, like online training, like adding online training kind of seems to solve this problem, kind of checks all the boxes. I don't really know anybody doing it though. Like there were some people doing online training back in 2012, but they were, people were mailing them checks. They were sending like Excel spreadsheets, you know, like it was pretty new. And so I built a business model from scratch, literally just like sat down in a notebook, built a business model, and then took um, 24 people through a beta version of it, 22 finished, turned that into the first ever course teaching online training business, which was at that point called 1K Extra. And then went through this process that we're still doing of just product development, iteration, product development, iteration. And, um, evolved that into the Online Trainer Academy certification in 2016. And we're actually coming out with version four of the Online Trainer Academy next month. And so, how many total versions has this been through? I think something like 10 now. Um, you know, hired the senior course developer from Yale University to do independent audit of it. Hired PhDs in distance course learning design. You know, like to your, one of your questions before was how did I put together the curriculum? It's like, well, I didn't know how to put together a curriculum. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the beautiful things about the world we live in. I could literally hire the senior course developer from Yale University and get him to do an independent audit of the learning styles utilized in our curriculum and give suggestions of how to improve it. So I get it. I mean, <laughs> like that's that's how you do anything these days, but you can only do that if you know what specific problems you have to solve. It's actually very easy to find skill, to find experts and to hire them, but you can only do that if you've really worked to figure out what specific, like like somebody to just like, help me make a course. It's not a question, right? You got to do the work first to say, what parts of this do I understand? What parts of it do I not understand? Where are the gaps? Where are the opportunities? Let me prioritize these gaps and opportunities okay, where are my holes? Who are the experts that can fill in these holes? right? And then hire them to fill in those holes, not to give you a mocked up complete framework of how this thing works because odds are that's not right for you and you're still going to have to individualize it.
0: I'm sure that one of your goals for 2021 is getting healthier or maybe just maintaining your health. I think now more than ever, we are all being super diligent, trying to take care of ourselves in the best possible way. And that's why I want to thank Healthy Planet for supporting today's show. If you are a health nut like me, you're going to love that you can save money on the brands and the purchases that you're already making by ordering from Healthy Planet. They love our visionary community and they want to support us all in living our best and our healthiest lives. So you can shop with them entirely online. Products will be dropped at your doorstep within just a few days. And it's so easy and convenient that you no longer have the excuse of it's hard to eat healthy. So treat your body, your mind, your business with the fuel it deserves from Healthy Planet. They are your one-stop shop for health, supplements, great quality food, natural cosmetics, and everything you need to support your body. So you can actually use the code VISIONARY10 at checkout. You're going to save 10% on your entire entire order. So it's kind of a no-brainer. I hope you'll use the discount code VISIONARY10, that's VISIONARY10 at HealthyPlanetCanada.com. One thing I think that you said that I want to stop on is the fact that you hosted, I forget how many you said, these 13-minute phone calls, like 100 of them, more?
1: I've done multiple builds of that. I did 137 that time. I did 117 another time. Um, our team now, I mean, I don't perform the phone calls because sure. we've got like a lot of really in-depth. Like I said this job's to be done is, is a brilliant framework but it's really really difficult to yeah. do. Like we hired a statistician like it's it's mm-hmm. really really difficult to do but when you do it the insights are gold.
0: So this and, is amazing. Um, so what were you asking yeah. people on these phone calls? Like uh, so kind of going back to you have the personal trainer development center. You're thinking about launching some type of program or course or certification. You decide I wasn't to What is thinking of launching anything? You weren't even thinking, okay, I so wanted, you were just no, trying to understand. I yeah. I was trying
1: to understand my audience better. I had Which, no idea. I mean, I figured that I would probably put together something for sale at one point. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't like I am going to create something. Let me figure out what I'm going to create. It was like, what are these people suffering from? Like that's gotta be yeah. first, right?
0: And this so is so brilliant. Yeah. How Go gonna, for it. Like this is so brilliant because most people jump right into the development of the product. And like you were saying, like they just build it and assume the people will come, but you right. kind of flip that on its head. So when you're hosting these calls, because I think this is uh, advice that a lot of the listeners can benefit from when you're hosting these calls, what are the types of questions you're asking? Like if, if someone listening mm-hmm. has never hosted these exploration calls What does that look like when you get on the phone with 137 people for 13 minutes?
1: Uh, At the beginning, at the beginning it was, I just had like a spreadsheet and I just ran through the questions and the questions were things like, what's your ultimate goal in the industry? What do you want to achieve? What's your biggest frustration in the industry? right. What keeps you up at night?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's just questions like that. Yep. And What I found was there were a lot of things that people said that weren't actually, like you gotta learn to read between the lines, right? So a lot of people would say, oh, I hate that I have to post on social media all of the time. Okay, well, the obvious solution then would be to build a done-for-you content service. That doesn't solve the problem. The problem is not that they don't like posting on social media, right? The problem is that they feel overwhelmed at all of the things that they feel like they should be doing in order to get where they want to be, and they're diluting all of their efforts because they don't have any kind of focus. Mm-hmm. So building them a social media content service is actually exacerbating the problem. It's actually going to make things worse for them over the long. It might make a bit of money, but you're not going to be able to build something that turns into a multi-million dollar business because you're not actually solving the problem. No. Right? You put a band-aid on it. Um, so you 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 start to see patterns and you start to read between the lines. Um, what we are what we're looking for now when we do the interviews. Like I said, this is, this is a bit more sophisticated, but we are, we're basically asking people what pushed them away from an existing solution they're using, what pulled them towards whatever they're using now, and what habits are keeping them where they are right now. Mm. So, and really trying to get to that like, point of change and not accepting vague answers ever. So if, you, if I want to know why you hired a personal trainer, oh, so can you just like, like when was it that you, that you hired as a personal trainer? Oh, I, you know, I think it was back in the spring spent. Oh, do you remember what was going on that day, right? Like where were yeah. you, who were you with? What did you mm. see? What was that post? Who was that post by? Right, and, um, and you start to identify some real patterns because what you will what we'll find out very quickly is that demographics are by and large useless. Yeah. Psychographics are even by and large useless. What you find is that there are really serious patterns of bios that kind of ignore all conventional rules. Like you could have an African-American 40 year old woman Buy something for the exact same reason as an eighteen-year-old college guy. Yeah, and when you find out that reason, you can speak to that to that reason specifically, right? So, I, you know, we're trying to figure out stuff like that. But, uh, but really, I mean, it all comes down to those fundamental questions, like, yeah, what do you want to achieve? Get specific mm-hmm. with that. What frustrates you right now? Get specific with that. Yeah, that alone, irrelevant of everything else that I just said will give you so much insight and this is the hard work that very few people do,
0: you know, so many people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, how many people listen here, like put up your hand, you know, if you're in, if you're on the bus or not, if you're driving a car, if you're going for a walk or run or something, like how many people have built something that they thought the world wanted and then released it into the world. And all of a sudden nobody wanted it. Mm -hmm. Like that sucks. I know that feeling. I've done that. Mm -hmm. And it's because, you made assumptions on what people wanted. You didn't actually check. You didn't build a system of prototypes, right? Mm-hmm. Minimum viable products as you were going literally like, like a piece of paper held it in front of them and said, would you buy this? Yeah. Yes. Can I take a deposit?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If I build this, I'm going to take 20 bucks from you and I will give it to you. Yeah. Um, because you know anybody who's ever launched something knows that all of a sudden your family and friends disappear the second you put it out into the world and uh that's a hard thing to go through
0: yeah over so and over again totally been through that <laughs> um so you host all these discovery calls 137 of them and then you said you ran a beta program uh so was this your way of compiling basically all of the tools and resources that you knew would get somebody from where they were feeling challenged. They told you what their goal was. And so did you just simply build a framework or a bridge that would get them on that path and on that journey and then say, Hey, I'm hosting this beta thing, put a credit card on the line and let's test this thing out because you told me this was your problem. Was that kind of how the next step looked?
1: Basically, yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing about these interviews is all the people are gonna buy it.
0: Hey, if I can
1: solve your problem, would you be interested in hearing more about it? Yeah, Yeah. okay, I'm gonna put you on the list, Awesome. right? And then you reach out to them first, give them an opportunity to get into the beta program before anybody else Mm -hmm. um, and give like a hard deadline for that. I mean, that's how I I launch every program with multiple beta programs. Yeah. I mean, 10 years into my business, we launched a fitness coaching service we're going into a third beta group. I mean, our beta groups are 100 people at 500 bucks a pop, but there's still a beta group, yeah, right. And it's and and this is this is us testing what we have. And so, basically, all that you need in order to launch a beta group is what you think the marketing appeal is, and you make a promise of the results. Nobody really cares what's in it. Nobody ever if if you're able to sell the results in the problem good enough, nobody ever cares what's in it. The only reason that people care that people ask you what's in a thing is because you haven't convinced them as to the benefits of the thing and why they need it. Mm-hmm. And so they ask you what's in it because that's the easiest question to ask when they're not sold on it. If you actually sell somebody on it, they're never gonna ask you what's in it. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a good like rule of thumb, like heuristic if you if you're selling something, if you get a lot of people asking you what's in it before buying, you need to figure out how to position your thing better. Um, and so, I, I mean, you asked me before, or you told me that you wanted to talk about before we, we got on this call, like basically my, my top marketing strategy, it's the same as it's always been. It's the same for the last 10 years, which is include people in your work. Include, figure out a way to include as many of the people who could potentially buy your thing in the process of developing that thing. So when I wanted to come out with a, with a book, for example, I created a Facebook group about how I was writing and how I was going to market the book didn't actually have much to do with the, with, the top, with the subject matter of the book, but now I have hundreds of people following along with the process of me writing a book. I'm updating them on the chapters. I'm talking about what I'm writing about, whatever it is. Now I have all these people who are on the book launch team when I go out to launch the book. Mm-hmm. Well, now this book is the number one marketing book in the world for the week that it came out, right? Because all of these people are now a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the same with every program that we put out. Don't hide your idea. It's not that special. Mm -hmm. I got news for you. Nothing you are doing is unique or special or hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. It's execution that matters. Mm -hmm. And so put your idea out into the world, include people in the development of it, include people in beta groups of putting this thing out. And what you will find is that when this thing is eventually ready, which, by the way, will take way longer than you ever think that it will, mm-hmm. then you're going to have an avid group of people who have been following it along. You don't need to market too, because they already know all about it. Basically saying, when can we buy this? When can we buy this? When can we buy this? Yeah. Like I always say to people, if you, if, you start, if you start marketing something when it's ready, you're four to six months too late.
0: hmm And I think that's a common misconception is that, oh, I should go hide in my cave, my creation cave until everything is ready, until everything is perfect. And then I'll tell my friends and family and then I'll let people know that it's live. But like you said, like if you do that and you just pop out one day and say, by the way, I built this amazing online certification. Nobody's listening. They have not been included in the journey. You're bombarding them with a message that they weren't expecting. So I love that you Mm. do try to include your prospective dream clients in the process because they're the first one
1: leads to what do you think leads to people doing that like why do you think people do that because even people who hear us talking about it right now are still going to do that so why do you think that is
0: i personally think it's self-doubt and limiting beliefs because as soon as you start putting something out there as soon as you tell your partner your mom your friend or you tell the world i'm working on something it becomes so real. And most people, I think they've let themselves down so many times in life that they're afraid if they say it out loud, or if they start including people in this process, or they launch a beta group, they are going to let themselves down one more time because they're not going to follow through and they don't do what they say they're going to do. It's just normal. It's like people book coffee dates. It's like, Hey, let's meet up. And then last minute they cancel. There's this lack of follow through, I think is an issue. And I don't know why that is, um, such a common trait these days, but I think a way to protect ourselves from letting ourselves down is to keep it secret until it's perfect, but we know that it's never going to be perfect. So I think that's why somebody would not include the community in the journey. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is there, do you have a different perspective on like, why wouldn't you just share your ideas with the world and say, I think I see this problem. I'm going to try and create something to solve it. I don't know.
1: I mean, I have a really hard time. I've had to like, I don't know. I don't really feel feelings too much. Uh, So I kind (laughs) of had to teach myself what emotion was and what emotional intelligence was. And like, you know, teach myself what empathy was in a textbook because I know that it's really important. And I'm the type of guy, I mean, my first ever speaking engagement was just to like 500 people randomly. Like I, it just, I never had any qualms about any of that and I don't quite get why. I mean, I, yeah. I get that other people get like stage fright and afraid to speak. I'm just like, well, do, 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 whatever. Do, do. I'm just <laughs> going to talk to you about stuff I know. Right? Yeah. Like I'm not going to talk to you about stuff I don't know. Nope. I think a lot of the time when people are afraid to speak, you know, they they try to give talks and stuff. Perhaps they're not an expert in. Maybe as part of it, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the answer is, which is why I asked you, because mm-hmm. uh, it it's certainly a problem, um, and it's a problem that I'm intellectually curious about, uh, and I don't really have a good answer. So I liked yours.
0: Yeah, there might be an element too of imposter syndrome, right? People feel like, well, if I go speak on stage. Then, like, who am I to be doing that? And they don't feel they've earned sure. it. They don't have the right qualifications, but I think, um, your ignorance See, towards it is, bliss. is
1: like, well, yeah. Like my opinion is like, if you don't want to listen, turn off. Like you're on the internet, dude. Like <laughs> there are lots of other places yeah. you can go. Yeah. Are all of them already, not all of them, a lot of them are way more exciting than I am. Like, yeah. like, those moving pictures are way more exciting and interesting than me Mm -hmm. speaking to you and writing to you right now. Mm -hmm. So if you know, if you're not interested, dude, there's other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I guess Uh, that's always like, I'm just going to talk in my little corner here. If
0: you want to listen, you can listen. (laughs) And I think that is like the type of confidence that we should all aspire to have is like, (laughs) I don't care if you don't like me, like I'm going to say what I want. I'm going to go do something that I'm not perfect at and I'm, I don't fear right. judgment anymore because it's like, great, unfollow me. Don't buy my product. I don't care. But maybe well, that's... I fear
1: judgment. I actually, I would challenge you on that because I, I think that there are um, there are three types of negative people on the internet. Okay. Um, there's haters, there's critics, and there's trolls. Yep. And I think how you respond to each of them is very, very important. Right. a hater... Is somebody who is just bashful. I mean, they're illogical. They're gra- you, know, you can usually find them because they're grammatically just like,
0: yeah. It just makes
1: no sense. Like there's, it's clearly emotion driven. It's drivel. It's just, it's just nonsense. They're just hating. The only thing to do with them is just delete them from your page, block them, get them out of there. There's no good that can come with that. Mm-hmm. A troll is basically a hater who tries to be funny. So it's it's more or less the same thing. You could, there are ways to respond to these people in, in, in a very creative way, basically not trying to argue with them, but trying to get more of your people on board by making them look really stupid. Um, I don't actually agree with that so much, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. But then there's a critic, right? And a critic is very different because critics are people who, seem intelligent. right? Critic is somebody who writes well, who makes, it may not be points that you agree with, but they're still salient points. They're well thought out points. They're well articulated points and they're challenging. And I think it's really important to listen to critics yeah, because I really want to listen and learn from really smart people who think something that I disagree with. I actually think that there's more that I can learn from them than anybody else. So, so I, I would, I would first do a very quick assessment to say, okay, we're like, what camp do these people fit in? Mm
0: -hmm. doesn't mean that
1: you necessarily need to change your focus and look at a critic, but Nassim Taleb has um, a really good heuristic. Nassim Taleb like author of Antifragile and and black Mm -hmm. Swan and a whole bunch of other really important books has a, has a heuristic that I really like, which is, you are not allowed to take a side in an argument unless you can argue the other side better than the person you're debating. Wow. It's a pretty good rule of thumb. Basically, you're not allowed to argue a side unless you understand how the other side justifies their point. hmm
0: it's a great life skill that I think a lot of people are putting up a wall right now and saying, well, I'm allowed to argue
1: whatever I want. You're allowed um, to argue. I don't have to listen.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But, I, but I, should, I should have the skills and I should have the awareness to recognize when it might be worth listening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if I'm wrong, I want to know, right? Uh, yeah. And, and, and people who disagree with me that are really intelligent, mm-hmm. fascinate me.
0: Yeah, it actually reminds me of, um, I think it's a Seth Godin quote. And he says, like, he doesn't really pay attention to the one star reviews on his books on Amazon, because those are like the haters and the trolls that are basically out to bring the rating down. But he loves to sift through people who
1: are like, I got my book and it was damaged.
0: I got my book and it was damaged.
1: You ordered a used copy on Amazon
0: from somebody who
1: resold it to you and it was damaged. Like, this is not an assessment of the book.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Or it's somebody saying, this book is not at all what I wanted. And like, it's very personally driven. And it's like, okay, but you should have read the description or the overview of the book, uh, and realized it's not for you. I did not write it for you. So he doesn't look at those, but he will pay close, close attention to the three and the four star reviews because that's where the critics hang out. And that's where the people who are making constructive feedback saying, you know, I ordered this book because I had this problem. And the only thing was, it didn't deliver on X, Y, and Z. And he'll look at those and go, okay, this is very important feedback. I can digest that, although it's a punch in the gut, but that's an important comment versus the trolls who are just, you know, trying to destroy his life online. So, you know, that's... Um, well,
1: and on the, other, on the other side of the coin, um, figuring out like a hotel or a resort or a vacation to take or whatever on TripAdvisor. Yeah. To use that or like a Yelp review or whatever, right? Uh, if you if you don't hate Yelp, which if you do, I totally understand, but reading the reviews you like reading positive reviews usually doesn't lend you much insight to help you make any kind of decision of whether you want to yeah. eat at that place or attend that whatever, but reading the negative reviews like negative reviews have often driven me to stay at places because what one person finds negative is exactly what I'm looking for. Mm
0: -hmm. For
1: example, oh, there were all these kids around. It looked like the families were just having so much fun. All I wanted to do was drink and party and get girls. It's like, that's where I'm gonna go with my three-year-old. You know, (laughs) it's like (laughs) that two-star review just sold this resort for me. I mean, that's an extreme example, but you will often find that in the negative reviews, what somebody else finds negative is actually exactly what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, it's such a good
1: point. I stay in in a lot of places in jungles, so um, not cockroaches.
0: (laughs) So speaking of staying, you're staying in a lot of places, (laughs) you're in jungles. Like what is your role within, like now we're fast forwarding a little bit. What is your role within your company today? Like where are you focusing a lot of your efforts? Is it in bringing new products to market Are you still launching things? Are you just trying to refine what you already have? Like what lights you up and what do you spend your time on these days?
1: I am maybe two to 5% involved in the business these days. Um, But it was a journey that I took professionally. I think perhaps as a business owner, startup founder, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, the, the journey to knowing yourself is probably the most valuable journey that you can take. I am really, really, really good at looking at a whole bunch of moving parts and figuring out ways that they fit together. I'm really, really good at identifying future opportunities and markets. And I've built the skill, and I've built the team to help me with the skill, to prove or disprove those assumptions. So I used to just go on knee-jerk right? Assumptions. So now, I mean, prove or disprove those assumptions. I am absolutely abhorrently God awful at running things like comically bad. Like I don't, I, my assistant literally needs to voice. Like I finish at the gym every morning and I have a voice recording from my assistant telling me what I'm doing that day. Like I can't manage my own calendar, even if I wanted to, I like, I'm awful, 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 awful at running things. And so What do I do day to day is some big picture strategy, although less and less with the with the operational business, but identifying opportunities in the market. Mm -hmm. And I spend a lot of time reading a lot of books about a lot of things, because to me, single bodies of knowledge, um, single industries are inherently uninteresting and unvaluable there's anything that you can learn easily and quickly has little to no value these days because anybody else can. What has tremendous value is gathering this web of interconnected thoughts, insights, bodies of knowledge from all different fields and identifying potential crossovers. Mm -hmm. So, Most of what I do is read books, is talk to smart people, is think. And if I come up with one concept Mm -hmm. every two years, literally, that kind of brings it together. I mean, like right now, I can tell you that we got one. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see some very big things happening in the next few years. Mm -hmm. from our company, because I know exactly where the fitness industry is going. Mm. I know how all of the people in that part of the industry, I understand right now how they've all missed the mark. They've overshot the market. They've misjudged the market, and they're not positioned to literally from commercial gyms to software platforms to education companies. Yeah. They're, they're all misplaced with where the fitness industry is going, and they're all going to be consolidated and or put out of business in the next five to ten years because mm-hmm. they have too much momentum going in the wrong direction. And we're building the tools to go in the right direction, right? So, you know, figuring out that stuff takes a tremendous amount of time and freedom and flexibility. Mm -hmm. that I'm really fortunate to have. And once we think that we have something, just asking a lot of questions, right? Working with a lot of very smart people who are very good at asking questions and building tests and proving assumptions.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, And then slowly, you know, building the thing out, not, you know, putting half a million or a million bucks into something but putting 50,000 at a time at each stage of it, mm-hmm. proving it, pivoting if we need to, right, and uh, and, and moving from there. So that's, that's kind of what I do day mm-hmm. to day.
0: That's so cool that you – I don't know. That's vague. That means nothing
1: to anybody. Like I apologize. <laughs> no, it does.
0: But, I think it's brilliant that at this stage, you are – like 90% of your time is towards dreaming, thinking, and – Like diving into wherever your curiosity leads you, because like you said, it's your job at this point to be compiling different knowledge from different industries and, you know, just like pulling all these strings together to see, okay, what is our next offer? And so do you identify
1: who we need and what we need to make those things happen Yeah, and finding those people and selling them on that vision? Mm -hmm. It's a big job.
0: Do you identify with the word visionary? Like, would you call yourself the visionary of your company and you've got people integrating it and making it happen? Or do you identify with a different world or word for how you...
1: I don't identify with any word. I mean, it just kind of is. Uh, I I mean, I guess so. I guess kind of that's Mm -hmm. what it is. Um, But not so much with my company um, as it is right now from what everybody can see, but with where we're driving it for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, before we kind of wrap things up here, I know many of our listeners are probably curious, like how you've been able to get your brand and the Personal Trainer Development Academy out in front of thousands and thousands of people. And I know that your marketing wheel probably has so many spokes coming off of it. And in the early days, you probably did tons of different things. But I just want to pause here and get some nuggets of wisdom from you, um, when it comes to enrolling those first 500 students or 1,000 students, I'm curious, what marketing efforts worked better than you expected and that maybe you still deploy today? And is there some type of marketing that actually underperformed based on what you expected that you kind of want to debunk right here on this podcast? <laughs> um, because I think you are a marketer right. and you have a brilliant mind in terms of how you can reach the masses with an amazing product. So um, any insights on either of those, what worked or what underperformed that we can draw from? Sure.
1: Well, thank you. First off, uh, what what worked? I mean, I talked about beta groups, like call them founding client groups, founding customer groups. Mm,
0: good wording. By far,
1: <laughs> yeah, by, by far, that's that's the most successful thing that we do. I mean, involving people early on for, for a few reasons. One is it allows you to make a really good, compelling offer, right? It allows you to make an offer and say, hey, at this point, this is going to cost X. Right now it would cost Y. You get a discount because you're gonna help me test drive it. And I wanna showcase your success and I want you to help me make it better. Think about all the things that that does. It gives these people a reason to act now. Right. So there's that built in like logical scale, like <sighs> not like bull crap scarcity. that hmm. a lot of people do like actual like scarcity. Don't even get me sense. started. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is only available for the next five people. It's like, hey, you're a liar. Um, and so, so there's that, but also it gives you permission to make it up as you go. It gives you permission to be imperfect. I think yeah. as, uh, as, as whatever we want to call ourselves, you know, in, in, in my world, you know, as fitness professionals, it's really hard to admit that we don't know everything. And so this is a marketing offer that actually admits to your audience. It's like, hey, I don't know this all yet. Think about the power of that. Mm-hmm. I'm figuring this out. I, I'm pretty like, like I got something that's gonna help you, but I'm figuring out all of the little pieces and I want you to be a part of that journey. Yeah, I love that piece of it because that gives you permission to take action before you're ready. And it also gives you permission to get some paying customers. Because if you just sit in your room, or what did you call it, your- your, Cave. Your planning cave. (laughs) Your dark
0: planning creative cave.
1: (laughs) Your creative cave. If you sit in your creative cave, it's gonna take you a year and you're probably never gonna do it. No. But if you have a customer waiting for that thing next week, you're gonna get it done for next week. Yeah. It is that much of a difference. And so step one is actually to get a paying customer. Step two is to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's this idea of founding client beta group is the best way to do that. Uh, and then once you start getting people results, right, either you get people great results, which is fantastic, and then you have great results to market, and then you use those people to help you get other people, blah, blah, blah. Or you don't get people great results and you realize that your thing actually wasn't that good after all, which is great that you figured that out before you built the whole thing. Isn't it? Yeah. And now you, you go ahead. Um, In terms of what didn't work as well as we would have liked, I can tell you a really recent example Yeah. we did as our black Friday promotion. um, We bundled together our certification with precision nutrition's Uh, level one certification, if anybody's heard of them. Uh, They're a nutrition certification company. And so we bundled together and we sold our two certifications together and we created a don't pay anything for the rest of 2020, right? Your first payment of 12 is delayed until 2021. Basically like get your education, build your business, right? By the time the first payment comes out, you're going to be able to more than afford it because you've got 45 days, right? And you get all of this. Great education. And you know, I mean it performed fine. It didn't meet either of our expectations. It performed mm-hmm. fine. But the 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 lesson learned from that is the offer was too confusing. Yeah. There were too many pieces of it. You need to have one offer, one reason for the offer that's very clear, very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. There were there were too many reasons to buy this. There were too many benefits. Quite frankly, I think the offer was too good. Yeah. And, um, and again, I wouldn't say that it fell flat. I mean, it did well, just because the two companies are big enough that like.
0: Yeah. You had enough no audience.
1: But if you look at the conversion rates and stuff like that, I mean, you look at the number of people it got in front of that are like mm-hmm. ideal for it. Like it did not perform the way that it should have. And it was just too confusing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So simplify 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 figure like if there's one lesson to take from that figure out why people need something yeah the number one reason i don't care about the number two the number three the number four the number five figure out the number one reason
0: mm-hmm.
1: and focus in on that
0: yeah and that kind of circles back to what you said at the beginning which is like if you can sum up the problem in one sentence and like you did so clearly you're like they don't make enough money that there's not enough time and yeah something else like you you've really got something good there. But I think what most people encounter is confusion on what they're solving, why people should buy from them. And if you as the business owner can't explain it in clear, concise terms, of course, your audience is confused. So it's like, you know, I love um, one thing I'm gathering from you is that you're always dissecting like why something worked or why it didn't. You're not just saying, oh, well, like this launch didn't go well On to the next. It's like, no, there's data in yeah. there and we're going to take the time to extract it before we just go make these same mistakes over and over. And, you know, I'm guilty of it. I don't like data. I don't like looking at numbers and it's not something I schedule into my calendar to see what are the conversion rates on my landing pages and why are people unsubscribing things like that. But you're making me realize like that is a vital part to not keep making the same mistakes um, over and over. So on this I not I'm the same as you. I yeah.
1: <laughs> I see a number and I run so far through this brick wall <laughs>
0: that
1: I don't I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. But I mean this is this is again, you know, figure out what you thrive at and as you grow your team so who you want to surround yourself mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. So our director of marketing is literally a rocket scientist. What? <laughs> like he's a fitness professional turned rocket scientist. Because what do I need as a director of marketing? I don't need a strategist. I don't need a visionary. Yeah. I need somebody who's a quant, who understands numbers and who likes marketing. Wow. Right? So he's a graduated rocket scientist. Huh. Uh, so, you know, how, like, so, like, so I don't look at numbers. Cause I would, I, again, run through this brick wall. Um, yeah. I just, I, my face jumbles at them, yeah. but I recognize the importance of it. And so that was one of the things that I looked for. This is, this is the value again, of knowing yourself. Like it's not, mm-hmm. there's no, especially for like a small business, you don't have the opportunity of hiring somebody for every single law. Mm-hmm. right? It doesn't exist. So how do you strategically build it up? Well, you need to prioritize. What are the what are the what's the one major thing you need now? What's the top priority? Yeah, right. And what are the other things that that person is going to have to do, even though it's not in their you know five percent or unique ability or mm-hmm. you know pick your pick your management term, mm-hmm. um, and and build out like that. Mm-hmm.
0: What does your team look like today? Like, give us just a quick snapshot of, um, like who's working with you and how many people are there? Where around the world are they? Just so we can get a picture of, you know, how you, have yeah. how big you've grown your We're company. We're mostly North
1: America. We have a, we have a, an office in Toronto, but people, it's a remote company. Yeah. There's four or five of us that work out of the office, but people can come and go whenever they want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mostly North America, East Coast, West Coast. Uh, but we have, we have, co- actually, I shouldn't even say that anymore. We've got people all over the world now because we have a lot of coaches all over the world. Yeah. Um, general manager, who basically, because like I said, I can't run stuff, so runs the day to day. Director of marketing, creative director, editorial director, customer service, uh, my assistant. Um, various people and like project manager head coach roles for the different projects. Yeah. And then we have a host of coaches who support each project. Mm-hmm. So and then like like we have a a, a staff writer as well. Um, and like I say staff writer, copywriter really, yep. uh who's who's full time on staff. Um and then we have a, a host of coaches for various programs who are really distributed around the world because we've got to hit different time zones.
0: Yeah. I
1: mean everywhere from australia to europe to north america to namibia
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we have coaches to work because we have a we have a fitness coaching program and we also have business two business coaching programs mm-hmm. uh, so coaches for that uh, we've got two levels of sales teams basically a triage sales team and a and a more of a high ticket sales team for a higher level stuff and then uh, we work with a few high-end consulting companies on a retainer basis. So we have basically like a fractional CMO, yep. um, super, super high-level marketing. Uh, we have an innovations uh, consulting firm that works with us on new innovations. Uh, and we're gonna bring on an, uh, uh, basically a high-end like editorial consulting firm as well. Like call it like, like a fractional kind of, um, I don't know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what you call them, but high-end editorial content strategy, um, bring them on to to, to work with us as well. So basically the way that we're structured is we have a director of each department and a director of each program who owns that program, who owns that department. Mm -hmm. Some of them have people underneath them. For example, the people who run our coaching programs have anywhere from five to 10 people underneath them each, right? Um, The people who, uh, like customer service, we have you know a head of customer service who manages everything, but we have two other staff members who are trained to back her up when they need to. Okay. So she takes it, but then they can back her up if it's a heavy time or if she needs to take a time take mm-hmm. some time off. And then we have, um, and then we have some high end strategists to work with us. Like I said, in, in kind of a fractional role, and then we have people who execute it. And the people who execute it, like a creative director, has a whole team of people that he outsources work to, but they're not on our staff.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: people who are, you know, on Upwork work on that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody listening to this is thinking, like, wow, what a company! This is amazing. Um, I have a bit, a two-part question to wrap up this interview. First, <laughs> did you ever? envision getting to this place. No. So that's the no. first part of the question. But then the second part of the question is I never
1: envisioned it. And I never desired it.
0: Never it, was never envisioned- a dream.
1: it was never anything I thought that I wanted. It was never anything that I even knew could exist. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in a reasonably affluent Jewish society where every single adult that I knew was a lawyer, doctor, dentist, teacher, accountant, or businessman. Yep. My dad's a businessman. My mom's a teacher. My sister's a lawyer. My brother's a banker. My other brother's a teacher. Yeah. Like every single one of my friends is a lawyer, doctor, dentist, accountant, teacher, <laughs> or businessman, every single one. Yeah. I didn't even know that this world existed growing up. Entrepreneurship wasn't cool. It meant you were unemployed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's
1: just, it, it was not for the first year and a half that I, had a website, I had checks sent to my parents' house because they didn't believe me that I could make money online yeah I mean it was it was not like they kind of get it now, but they still don't even really get it right they're just like yeah john's doing something like he's good he's <laughs> off the payroll right like they just don't really get it um, and it's just it it just happened right, which is such an important part, I think that I want to talk about more and more about and i'm happy to talk about here is it doesn't have to be a master plan it doesn't have to happen fast it doesn't have to happen on your first try it didn't it wasn't any of those things for me you should 100% have a backup plan you should never go yep. into debt you should never do anything early on that has the potential to take you out of the game. If you can't afford to make a payment on something, because if you, if it doesn't go 100% right, then you're gonna have to quit all of your hopes and dreams. Yeah. Right? You should not do that. Like I stayed personal training for the first two and a half years I had a website yep. until I started making enough money to be able to step away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, that That allowed me to, take my time and build slower and figure stuff out and build an audience before I had a product Mm -hmm. and not worry about having to make money to pay for my server costs or my website. Yeah. Because there's no way that I would have built it. And that's why I think a lot of people struggle now is they get into this point where they have to make money so early on Mm -hmm. that they never build up anything worth paying for.
0: Yeah. It's too much pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yep. and you say like you know this whole business it just happened, but I'm assuming this business is the product of you putting one foot in front of the other day after day after day working on yourself and trying stuff, working on and trying and trying failing stuff. right and and not yep. being afraid to you know uh, work on things and some of them they will never come to fruition. And others got you to where you are today. So second part of this question. I love the
1: idea of courage. Can I talk about courage for a minute?
0: Yeah, go for it. (laughs) Because
1: I I love the idea of courage. I think courage is fascinating. I think courage is super powerful because courage isn't something that people are born with. Courage is something that develops. Courage is something that develops when you fail because fear, if if you really understand fear, you – You realize, and you can you could look up the philosophy on this. I'm not making it up. You know, Seneca once said, if you wish to stave off fear, imagine that the worst that could happen most definitely will happen. Yeah. Because fear is not a rational thing. Fear is fear is an irrational response to the unknown. When we fear things, it's because we haven't taken the time to understand them. And and it seems like the worst case scenario because we've never defined the worst case scenario is going to be so unbelievably bad that we don't take action. It paralyzes us. But if you actually define the worst case scenario, you will in almost every case recognize that it's actually not so bad and you can withstand it. Hmm. And that's a really empowering thing to happen because now you know, I say, I always say, uh, freedom is providing yourself the opportunity to fail. If you can fail, you can act. If you can act, you already have an advantage over many others. Mm-hmm. And the way to provide yourself that opportunity is to define your fear. And then once you do stuff and it doesn't work out, and you realize it's not so bad when it doesn't work out, because when you do something, when you attempt something, there's an almost 100% chance that it's not going to work the way that you intended and a pretty damn good chance that it's going to work out in a way that you never could have anticipated if you'd ever tried. Mm -hmm. And so once you do stuff, you realize that even if it didn't go well, it ain't so bad
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that gives you a lot more courage to do a lot more stuff. And so courage is just the result of doing stuff over and over and over and over again. That's how you build more courage. And the way to start that process is to define your fear, define the worst case scenario. And, and I think once you really understand that and put that into practice, you could just start doing stuff. You could start making stuff. Cause like, I don't know what's the worst that can happen. Doesn't go well. Oh shit. You learned something. I
0: feel that so much for the listener who is chained to stability right now. Like, they they have their job and they have their paycheck and their pension and all that stuff. And they feel that they are chained to that. and They want to do something else. They want to start a business like you have, but they are like wallowing in the fear, right? Mm-hmm. And I love that you say, just ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? And I think Tim Ferriss says, do some fear casting, like literally write it out. And when you see that and That's say- not bad. Well, it's I like not that.
1: fear casting.
0: Is fear that what casting. Is? Yeah, it's like vision casting or dream casting. We all do that at the start of the new year. Why mm. not say, okay, well, I do want to start this business. I'll do it responsibly. But what is the worst that could happen if you know I decide to quit my job, or if you know, and project what these right. scenarios are, because it makes you realize, okay, maybe it's not so bad, and maybe I don't have to feel chained to this life that I'm unhappy with. Because now I the fears are in front of me. I see them. I've addressed them. I'm not avoiding them, um, and I'm going to have the courage to take action, even if the outcome isn't exactly as planned. Because you know I've mapped yeah. out what's as the long direction. as you've
1: defined. Yeah, yeah, as long as you've defined, like what's the worst outcome that can happen. I remember hearing uh, somebody, obviously in our market, like it was a fitness professional. was like when I looked at what the worst that could happen was. I realized that I might have to go back to, you know, if everything goes wrong that could possibly go wrong. Like the odds that yeah. happening are so slim, but like if everything yeah. goes wrong that could possibly go wrong, I realized that I might have to go back to sleeping on a mat in my gym. And you know what? I kind of miss those days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, because right, that's okay. what builds character. That's what the journey is about. And like if you're not going to enjoy this journey towards building your next great idea, what are you doing? Like you have to enjoy right. the process of it. So yeah, that means sleeping on the the gym mats and um making that part of your story of how you got to where you are today, then I've, it's worth. I've had,
1: I've, I've slept on a lot of gym mats. Uh,
0: yeah. Mm, yeah.
1: <laughs> I slept on Just, a lot of gym mats. That's for sure.
0: Sleepless nights, I guess. Oh, I guess back in your personal training days too. You're like, okay, I finished my last client at 10. I need to be here at whatever four
1: thirty a.m. I don't think I ever slept overnight. No, I don't think I ever slept overnight because I always lived, I always made sure to live pretty close to the gym. Yeah.
0: Because
1: I think, I think reducing transit time is probably the most important thing you can do to improve productivity and mindset.
0: Yeah. And creative energy. Oh my gosh. And yeah. so
1: I always spent more money living closer to where I work. Um, mm-hmm. And even where we built our office in Toronto, like 15 minute bike ride from home. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not commuting ever. Yep. Uh, I think commuting does so much damage it does. in so many ways to so mm-hmm. many people. Aside from the time suck, it just zaps everything about you. It does. And so I never slept overnight, but I, but I took a lot of nats, uh for sure. <laughs> the first thing that I would do when we hired a new trainer, the first thing that I would teach them was how to build a bed out of mats and towels and the break them. Mm-hmm. That was actually
0: lesson one. That is absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, that's lesson Um, one. Okay, second part, last question, and then I'm going to let you go. Now that you have got your business to where it is today, massive team, tons of success stories, and amazing people who have gone through your framework, do you have a new big vision? Like, obviously, what you've accomplished now is beyond what you ever thought possible. Now, as the visionary or the leader of this company, have mm-hmm. you got that five-year or 10-year? Or yes. do you just roll with it one day at a time? Yes. You do. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the, the fitness industry is going to f- be fundamentally changed with the advent of artificial intelligence. In the next three to five years
0: you mean um, like peloton or like the app no. or do you mean with like virtual trainers no, not peloton
1: not peloton not virtual trainers um there is already computer programs algorithms can build a better fitness program than about 98 percent of personal trainers
0: oh my goodness yeah i had
1: no idea and um and it can it can already it can also do things that personal trainers could never in a million years dream of doing. Mm-hmm. Computers are just better. Any task that requires any type of data, any task that requires any type of um, rote task, any type of learning that takes a long time. I mean, take just fitness programming, it's a mastery profession. Most trainers are actually pretty shit at it. Like, like almost all of them. Yep. Um, Unless you've been in the industry studying programming for 10 to 15 years, minimum, Mm -hmm. you're not very good at programming. A computer program, though, is better than you. And it can also adapt on the fly way better than you, based off of some very simple inputs. As simple as, I wake up in the morning, I answer three questions talking about how good or not good I'm feeling. Yep a program can automatically upgrade or downgrade for that day for me. Wow. Right? That's just one example. The entire fitness industry, the personal training industry, gyms, is all going to be turned on its head because of this simple fact. And trainers are going to be converted, and I haven't given good language to this yet, but call them fitness care professionals. Mm -hmm. Because there's going to be such a need for passionate people not to create programming, but deliver programming. Yep. To help people work through it, to be there when clients need it. This idea of hiring a trainer for 80 or $100 an hour, gone. Mm -hmm. It was never worth it. It's not worth it today. It was never worth it. And it'll be worth it even less in the future. But a gym membership at two or $300 a month, where you have, I don't call it artificial intelligence, I call it augmented intelligence, yeah. where you have trainers working with groups of clients at a time in intelligently built gyms with a back end of augmented intelligence, building all of the programming, building all of the, the, the results-based programming. Mm-hmm. That's where it's going. And that's what we're going to be training people to do. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's going to be three to five years or five to 10 years, mm-hmm. but I can tell you right now that commercial gyms are all going to be flipped on their head by it. They're oh, still yeah. going to exist because um, in-home workouts suck. Mm-hmm. And people are not going to want to work out at home. I mean, there's a, there's a joke from amongst people who sell fitness equipment and infomercials that they have to have arms and they have to fold up because they're eventually going to turn into coat racks and end up underneath your bed.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm.
1: Like, it's just, I mean, no matter how good a digital community is, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The majority of people are still going to want to go somewhere to exercise. Yep. Um, but it's going to be largely augmented. I mean, Peloton just bought Precorp, right? Because they know this. They're not stupid. They know that the in-home workout craze
0: yeah, is bad. not going to maintain.
1: <laughs> so they bought one of the big gym and hotel fitness equipment developers, Precorp, yeah. so that they can put Peloton in gyms and in hotels. Mm. Brilliant. Wow. That happened like two days ago.
0: I didn't know about that. And yeah, I mean, for people who are feeling, I guess, kind of um, like shattered, like, well, what is the point if artificial intelligence is just going to take over? There's more
1: opportunity than there ever was. There will be be more jobs created, Mm -hmm. more business, and more of a desire for what you do. And you'll be able to do more of what you do best with less pressure over all of the stuff that you already know you're not doing a good job on. Yes. Speak to yeah. 100 personal trainers and ask them if they think that they're good at programming. 98 of them will say no. Yeah. And they're probably right.
0: And would you agree that the special sauce that um, that all people who could, if the programming can be replaced by artificial intelligence, would you say the one thing, the special sauce, is the creativity and like the character of the deliverer of the program? Because that can care. The care, it's okay, the care. so the level of care and the empathetic. connection. It's being
1: empathetic, it's 100%. One of, the, one of the things, I mean, this is all industries, right? This is not just the fitness industry. Yeah. Um, yeah, artificial yeah. intelligence in the next five to 10 years is going to just like, like, some industries are just completely screwed. Like industries that don't include humans that much, like radiology, for example, financial services, like real estate, like they're basically just going to be gone.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but any industry where there is an element of care, like the medical industry, doctors by and large, probably not five to 10 years, maybe 10 to 20, doctors by and large aren't going to exist the way that they exist right now. They're gonna be changed into care professionals. There's gonna be more of a need of them. We're not gonna have to spend as much training them. The reason why there's not enough doctors right now and care isn't sufficient is because it costs so much to train doctors. Yeah. Right there's going to be more of a need for them there's going to be way more of them and the level of care is going to be so much higher than it ever was they're going to be able to spend time with you yeah in ways that they never would right and so the fitness industry is going to be the same there's going to be way more jobs in the fitness and health industries
0: mm-hmm.
1: because all of the stuff that humans are not good at like like technology scale, automation, artificial intelligence doesn't replace humans, it optimizes them. It optimizes the single thing that makes us human, which is love, which is compassion. Yeah. And so dive into that. Mm -hmm. Don't try to learn the hard science of what you do because a computer can do it better already than you can. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow, good advice. Um, Yeah, gives me a lot to think about too in my own business, but... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We could have gone so many different directions with this show, but uh, I think we can put a a stamp on it there and and wrap this up for now. Um, You are obviously a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure the listeners uh, may want to connect with you or learn more about you. Um, So where is the best place for them to find you?
1: If you are interested in podcasts and you're interested in the fitness industry, we've got a podcast called The Online Trainer Show. It is irreverent. It's half comedy, half business podcast. I love it. So uh, definitely come. Oh my god, it's so funny. Uh, it's 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 different. Um, don't expect it to be like an interview podcast. Put no. it that way. Yeah. Uh, so so I'd really love for you to join us there. It's called the Online Trainer Show. Wherever you listen to podcasts, yeah. if you are a personal trainer, I mean, personal trainer development center website is where you can find everything. We've got over a thousand free articles. I've written eleven books. That's where you're find the certification, the coaching programs, all that kind of stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. awesome and actually I I teach at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and some of my students have taken your program uh, in conjunction with going to CSNN and a lot of them say it is kind of a match made in heaven to have uh, a wonderful wellness offering so uh, definitely big kudos to you for bringing this vision to life thank you so much Jonathan um, and we wish you all the best so there you have it my chat with Jonathan I hope you enjoyed it There are a few things I want to double tap on here. First is the messy middle years of business. It seems as though this is something you simply cannot avoid as an entrepreneur. You know, that time in business where everything feels chaotic and unorganized and like you have no damn plan, but you're working so damn hard. Yeah, that time. I loved that Jonathan was candid about his time inside of the messy middle, and he was open and honest that he didn't just know what his life's purpose was right from the beginning, like some may assume from the outside. The second thing is to get out of your privacy cave. Jonathan and I both agree on this one. If you decide to start your marketing efforts Only once you're launching your business, you're already four to six months too late. Instead, his advice is to bring your community along the journey, just like he did with his book writing group. So make sure you include your community and that you make them feel like they're part of something and that they know what you're up to so that they're not left in the dark and then you're trying to sell them something. The third thing is the difference between the haters, the critics, and the trolls. (laughs) These three groups are not the same, and it's helpful to discern who to pay attention to and who to simply ignore and tune out when it comes to their feedback and criticism. Insightful comments from critics are certainly something to consider and to use when modifying your offerings, but haters and trolls, they're another story. Know the difference so you don't get bogged down by the weight of those who just don't deserve your time or energy. There were so many other amazing learnings from this episode with Jonathan. I would recommend going back to listen to it a second time, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed. Please rate and review the Visionary Life podcast if you haven't already. It really helps us to get these episodes in front of more visionaries like you. So that's it for this episode. I will see you next week thanks for tuning in to this episode of visionary life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Riedel. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.